0: to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the cutting wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is an actor, an audiobook narrator, and an acting, narration, and career coach. Elise Arsenault, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rich. Glad to be here.
0: I'm so glad you could make it. I uh, heard about you fairly recently from uh, somebody who posted something. I think it was in a Facebook group, if I remember correctly. So uh, I looked into it a little bit more and uh, liked the credits that I saw. And so I'm very, uh, very glad that I was able to uh, find your contact info, reach out and uh, get you in here.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much.
0: Sure. Yeah. So this being a speakeasy, what are you drinking, Elise?
1: I'm having a glass of red wine. It is specifically, it's called Lenora Syrah from Washington State. I was looking to get a local wine, but they didn't have this specific one I was looking for tonight. So I decided instead to choose something from a region that I'm preparing a book for right now. Um, So I'm oh, not preparing cool. a book. Yeah, this is not the book I'm uh, n- narrating next actually takes place in like southwestern Montana, Mm -hmm. um, and the Idaho area. So I couldn't find anything very particular to there, but I did spend a full year in the Northwest many years ago. And so I have a longing for that area. So I I just wanted to, you know, get, get a glass of wine in homage to that area of the country. So this is Lenore Syrah. And it also, um, seems like it has like a little literary slant to it. The bottle says for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore, from The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. No
0: kidding, so I thought That's that was great. fun. Yeah. yeah, that is very cool. Uh, <laughs> Where did you spend time up in the uh, Pacific Northwest?
1: Um, I, I toured just out of college, I toured with a company called Missoula Children's Theater, and it was based out of Missoula, Montana. So, of all things, I went to school in Virginia, and my first gig was out in Montana, and we actually Toward the whole country. Ooh. So, um, yeah, it was a really, really cool job, really interesting, probably the most difficult job I've ever had, but like amazing at the same time. So I got to see maybe like 37 States, but most of the ones that I spent my time in were Washington state, Idaho, Montana. Um, yeah, those were the main three actually. So getting a book from that area just gets me really excited. So that's,
0: that's very cool. So you liked it in that area.
1: Yes, I did. It was so different. It was very, very different. I don't know that I would live there, but it was just like such, I was right out of college. So it was such the quintessential adventure.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I've, I've, I'm familiar with a a couple of children, um, touring children's theater type organizations, and it does sound like it would be an incredibly rewarding experience.
1: Yes. It was amazing because we got to stay at homestays throughout the country. So, and this was actually right after, um, George W. Bush got reelected. And, um, I remember thinking I need to, I, I felt a certain way about certain parts of the country. And it was amazing for me to actually go and live in all parts of the country and just get to live with people who were different than me, or maybe thought differently than me and just learn that Oh, we're all people. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's so amazing to just have this experience because I don't think I ever would have. And most people don't. Most people don't see... the country in that way.
0: Yeah. So it now was, that, it was that, an experience. That sounds like something that could benefit so many of us, myself included these days. Um, yes. because sometimes it's really hard to remember that really we're all people. Um, yes. so, yeah. uh, so, so that's great. Uh, I, I love the fact that you got something that had that, uh, that literary component. I'm, I'm afraid that I'm having a drink tonight where I'm, I'm, I don't know of any literary component that I could, um, uh, that I could ascribe to it. Nope, nothing's coming <laughs> to mind. I'm uh, tonight. I'm having a smoky nail. Uh, a rusty okay. nail. Rusty nail is a a popular drink, uh, which is blended scotch, and drambouille, which is a scotch liqueur. And as one of my friends put it one time when we were out and he ordered a rusty nail, and I said, did you just order a rusty nail? Because I don't hear that order too often. He said, yeah, <laughs> scotch and scotch. What's not to like? Um, <laughs> so so, so that's a rusty nail. And uh, I learned recently, I, I was thinking about ways that I could maybe uh, change it up. And sure enough, one of the things that I was thinking of was using an Isla scotch, for, uh, which is heavily peated. And and thinking, I wonder if that's already a thing. And sure enough, it is. So that's a that's a smoky nail. And this one is not actually an Isla Scotch, but it's uh, it's from the islands, which is sort of a non recognized designation for Scotch whiskey. And uh, and I I believe it's um, it's the uh, uh, what was the. I can't even remember. I don't have the bottle in front of me. I think it's a it's a bottler that deals with a lot of different distilleries and I believe that this is a 20-year-old uh, heavily peated scotch from the Chick distillery if I remember correctly. And I got a great deal on it so even though it's a fairly expensive scotch it's a lot less than it would have been if I'd had to pay full nice. price. So <laughs> I thought I'll go ahead and use it in a mixed drink instead of drinking it straight. So uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I'm having a smoky nail to go along with some red wine. Now your red wine, is that a, uh, oh you said it was was a Syrah. So that's a a a pretty pretty hearty red there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to go with Gewürztraminer tonight, but I really needed. Yeah. It's a red. It's winter. Very
0: different profile. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I know. Right. I really like all different kinds of wines and beers. So I, Uh, it's, it's not one specific. It usually changes with the, with the seasons, but
0: also my mood. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I hope that the uh, red wine ends up being good, even though it's not a local one. We can get into what's local and what's not in a bit. But uh, but I will join you with my uh, my smoky nail. So thanks for coming in, Elise. Cheers. Cheers. So uh, So you said that you were going to try to get something local. What is local at this point?
1: Yeah. So actually this evening I'm coming to you from, um, uh, just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. I was in New York earlier today and I split my time between New York and Rhode Island. Oh. Um, so I was thinking Rhode Island, but, um, but they didn't have the Newport Vineyard specific one I was looking for, but that's okay. You so got, yeah.
0: You got something that, that, uh, held some kind of meaning for you anyway. So you split yeah. your time. Is that for work yeah. reasons, for family, personal reasons, something else?
1: Um, A little bit of both. So I'm actually from Rhode Island. I never thought I would have ended up here as an adult. But here I am. I'm back here. um, And I fell in love with my husband who's from here. And as an actor, I love being in New York. I love being in a big city. But I found that this works for me. And um, yeah, it's kind of my location has shifted and I love to travel. So, um, it's interesting because my coaching program is actually called the global actor mm. because I believe you can have a thriving acting career no matter where you live. You're so you speaking I, from I,
0: experience now. <laughs> I need, yeah. So
1: I, I, I walk my talk as much as I can.
0: <laughs> that's, that's great. But so you still have a place in, in Manhattan?
1: Yeah. So I split my time. I've got a couple different places. Um, yeah, and that's in transition right now. But I was there for a few um, auditions earlier this week. I literally just got back about an hour ago, ah. and I'll be and I'll be back on Friday.
0: All right. Well, thanks for thanks again for making the time to come into the Speakies. Yeah. Uh, amidst oh, all pleasure. the travel.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't, I, and I almost don't like to share it with people because um, sometimes people think like it's an inconvenience, but it's literally like this is, I, I get joy out of it That's great. <laughs> because I, That's great. I'm a city person, my husband's not. And so it just helps me, like I'm able to get my city thing in and then I have like a nice chill suburban life otherwise. And yeah. it's, it works. It works. no yeah. I,
0: I totally hear that. Um, liking certain <laughs> things. I, I'm not, uh, somebody who, who likes big cities. I tried for years and just could never do it. I love visiting them but yeah. I, I just can't spend that much time there. So uh, everybody's different. So, so that's yeah, great. Yeah. So you're originally from Rhode Island. And then you said you went to, yes. uh, went to school in Virginia.
1: Yeah. I went to school at George Mason university, which is right outside of DC, um, in Fairfax, Virginia. It's a Virginia state school. Um, and I studied, um, theater and music there. And, um, it was really a really great place to, to go to college. Um, because, of its proximity to D.C. and the theater community there. Um, so a lot of my professors were tapped into that theater community. So it was a really great place to get started right after college when I got back from that children's theater. Yeah, Virginia State Schools are kind of where it's at. They, they, really, they really understand their education down there. They really put a lot of money into it. So as an out-of-stater, it was really cool. It was almost like a private school. Yeah. Ed-
0: uh-huh. Well, that's that's great. And so you did theater. And then right after that, you got into a uh, a traveling program.
1: Yes. My senior year in college, I actually told myself, I've, I've, I'm very goal-oriented. And I was even back then, I was like, all right, I'm either going to grad school or I'm going on tour. So that my senior year in college, I barely put up anything in my room. I was like, I'm going to live as bare as possible because I'm going to be like a nomad after this.
0: So, so yeah,
1: yeah. So I was, I was at the tour was a possibility. Yeah.
0: And how long did that and last? Actually,
1: yeah. So I did. So I originally signed on for a 12 month contract. Um, and then I was having such a good time and, uh, they needed, they wanted to see who wanted to stay on. So I did another three months And that final three months, I did the East Coast and I knew I was going to be moving back to D.C. So it was really great. They kind of worked with my schedule and I got to do some uh, theater auditions in D.C. in between like the different places we went to from Georgia to uh, I think Delaware is is probably the furthest north we went. Or no, upstate New York. Yeah, we went to like upstate New York. Yeah.
0: So you knew that after that you were going to D.C. I'm surprised. I thought that right after that you would have been going straight to New York.
1: Yeah, I think what it was, was I was, I've always been strategic and sometimes to a fault. Sometimes I do like stop myself from probably going as far as I can. But at that time, I knew that there was a network there. And I knew that it would be smart to get some professional credits under my belt. Wow. And I'm really glad I did stay. I probably was in D.C. for maybe two or th- maybe three years after that. Um, and so I did. I worked with a number of uh, theaters down there. Uh, the Smithsonian Institute has Discovery Theater, um, Adventure Theater, uh, Imagination Stage, Venus Theater. Yeah, I took part in uh, one of the Fringe festivals. So it was a wonderful. It still is such a vibrant theater community down there.
0: Yeah, I didn't really know that until I started doing this podcast, and I've spoken with many people now who've spent a yeah. considerable amount of time doing uh, various different acting things, typically theater, in mm-hmm. the D.C. area.
1: Yes. Now that I've worked in other regional, um, cities too, I realized like what a gem that was. Um, I've also, I've since worked in the Boston market, but it's not as big. There's something again, like big and vibrant. Maybe it's like a weather thing. (laughs) I don't know. It's just like a little bit warmer down there. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just, just a wonderful place to come up.
0: Well, that's good. And so then did you go to New York after that?
1: I did. Yeah. So I kind of, it was the worst timing. It was right around, um, 2008, 2009. So, um, right. You know, the worst time. So I actually had a national tour after that with this, um, educational tour and I was so excited. I was like, all right, I'm going to move that. I'm going to tour for like this fall, which was September to December. And then I'll move to New York coming right off this tour. And then my tour was one of maybe five or six tours that this company was doing and they canceled my tour. So, Just because um, the due, economy crashed? due to the economy. Yeah, yeah. They, they can't, they like, yeah, they shut down half their shows wow. and it was going to be so cool. I was going to be like, I, I think it was like a bilingual production of the three musketeers. Ooh, so wow. I would have had to like ramp up my French for that. So bummer. But you know, I, I guess everything happens for a reason, but, um, that was a bummer. Yeah,
0: no doubt. <laughs> But then you made it to New York.
1: Then I did. Yes, I did. But the interesting thing is, again, like the timing thing was just not perfect for me. So the the waiting tables, uh, the choices of jobs that were even available for waiting tables at the time were so like meager. It was it was it was a very rough time. Um, and so I didn't last much more than a year at that moment um and before my family invited me back to New England and I was like I told myself I would never do that um but I did and it ended up being the best thing that could have happened for my career looking back at it now at the at the time it felt like it was going to be like the worst thing like my career was all over yeah i could but, totally uh, i could totally see how that would
0: feel yeah yeah. Uh, yeah it always seems like well i've decided to go out and do something else and if i go back it's failure which Mm -hmm. is certainly not necessarily the case and certainly not in your case. So, so that's good. So it worked out going back to uh, Rhode Island.
1: Yes. Yes. And it doesn't have to be, I feel like there are so many limiting beliefs that this, that our industry has us believe. And so, um, for me, I was believing a lot of them (laughs) at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, so today it works for me splitting my time and being in New York, being in Rhode Island, being in Boston as well.
0: Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so after the uh, the tour that ended and then didn't go so well in New York, where did your acting career go at that point?
1: Sure, I did some further training. So when I was living in D.C. and when I was living in New York, I, tra- I trained with the late Gary Austin phenomenal improv teacher. He, he's actually the founder of the groundlings. So I don't know, I don't know if you watched Pee Wee Herman, but actually Pee Wee Herman came from that character that Paul Rubens did came from one of his classes. Wow. So he was incredible to work with. Yeah. So I worked with him for several years, um, privately, but also in, um, in community with other improv students. And then I also studied for several years, um, with Tom Jones, who is, um, from the Brown Trinity rep, uh, Master's program. So I didn't go to that program, but I did study with him privately for many years, and I studied with Katherine Jennings, who's the singing teacher for that program. So because I was living in Providence, I just ended up studying with both of them privately, and then I did some further advanced training um, at BADA, the British American Dramatic um, Academy um, at Oxford. So I did a summer there, which was incredible, and that was with
0: that students. Was cool, yeah
1: yeah it was with students from UCLA, from Juilliard, from Yale. Um, so it was it was incredible. and it was incredible to study Shakespeare in in Oxford. There was nothing like it.
0: No doubt. Well, that's great that you even though the the acting uh, career didn't seem like it was going anywhere at the time that you actually had the time then to focus on it and to yes. uh, to improve.
1: Totally. And, and as soon as I got back from that, um, training program in England, um, I, I hit the ground running in Boston and my first, and, and then I did regional theater very, um, consistently for the next several years.
0: Um, so, starting so with, all that work paid off then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, and there was like a mindset thing. Cause I was, I thought I wanted to go to grad school, but the advice I was getting from the teachers were like, just go out there, just start doing the work. You just need to meet directors and you just needed an agent and like, it's going to happen for you. And so I kind of needed someone (laughs) to just say that to me so I could believe that. But yeah, things really, really shifted after that. Um, yeah. And my first show when I got back was Avenue Q, um, at the Lyric Stage Company of Boston. And that was about 2012. Yeah. And I've actually since done that show a few times. I've puppet coached it like three or four times. So yeah, Uh I
0: love,
1: I love that show. (laughs) Love puppets.
0: <laughs> so, so all that we've talked about so far is theater. Yes. I know that you also have some film credits, and I know that the whole point that that I thought that you'd be a good guest here on the audiobook speakeasy is because you also have done a lot of audiobooks. So, mm-hmm. when did you branch out from theater?
1: Yeah. I think it was about 2014, late 2014. I was, I had been doing theater for a while. I uh, joined actors equity. I had felt like, okay, I'm doing this thing. Now what? Like I'm not still not making money as an actor. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how to do that. And so once I started thinking about the income that I wanted to bring in, uh, I knew voiceover was something I had to explore. And so I actually thought I was going to dive into commercial work first but again, because of the community at uh, Brown and Trinity Rep, there were some narrators in the area who I knew, who I was able to network with um, and begin getting work with after I had my demo in hand. Um, so that happened about 2015. Um, I booked probably my first commercial or like maybe the month before and then I booked my first audiobook and then the audiobooks kept on coming so it was like from then on I was like all right well the work is here like let's let's do what's right in front of me and see see where this goes yeah sometimes the best so, choice is
0: to go where the work is as uh, as exactly. opposed to going where you want to go and that will lead to more of whatever you end up wanting right. to do but you've done so many yes. audiobooks at this point that clearly it's something that you're uh, I would assume reasonably happy doing
1: Yes, absolutely. It's incredible. Um, I really do think of them as a one person show, so there's like nothing more incredible than having this book that someone's trusting you with to bring to life Mm -hmm. and to, to put out there in the world. So it's been, I don't, I don't think I realized when I was getting into it, how it would change the shape of my life, but it really has. And it's incredible now to be able to share that with other actors and let them know there's there's this thing that they need to know about <laughs> called uh, you know narrating audiobooks. So,
0: yeah. yeah. No, that's um that's very cool that it that it was not something that you were looking for and uh for a, a number of reasons it just ended up being good. Um, what did you find as you got more into audiobooks? Uh, aside from being a a one person show, I like that characterization. Um, (laughs) aside from being a one person show, did you find any particular niche, any particular genre where you felt particularly comfortable? Uh, did you want to do everything? Uh, what do you think of nonfiction versus fiction, all that kind of stuff?
1: Oh, great question. Um, I think my, it's interesting because I was cast uh, in certain genres for a while and I wasn't sure what was my fit at first, but I think today when I look at my overall, you know, catalog of the titles I've done, um I really love uh romantic comedies. Um I love voicing badass heroines in like in sci-fi or fantasy and i say badass or also awkward. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, like a leading lady that's either badass or is badass but she doesn't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Um so i love those kinds of books. Um i also do a lot of cozy mysteries and i love those too. I didn't even know that genre existed before um Tantor gave me like Cozy mystery and series upon series. So, thank you, Tantor. So, um, that's a that's but, a big one. Yeah. There
0: there are a lot of people who love those. Yes. My, my mom used to love those. So
1: cute. Yeah. They're so they're so sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a really nice thing to snuggle up in and prep for like on a winter Mm -hmm. afternoon or something. Yeah. But I also really love literary fiction and that's something that I'm moving a little bit more into. I love stories that those are the stories that I would read. Like if I were to go to a library and pick something out, which I don't have a lot of time to do lately. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those are the stories that are really, I think shift, um, where we're going as a culture. And that's what I'm most interested as an artist is to tell stories that need to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I like to, I like mixing it up and I've been fortunate that, um, different publishers have sent me different kinds of things.
0: That's cool. Uh, and what about nonfiction?
1: I love the idea of nonfiction. To be honest, I've only narrated about three or four. It's mm. crazy. Yeah, I've done more than a hundred, and probably only three or four have been nonfiction. So um, I'm not sure why. I'm open to <laughs> thoughts on that. Maybe, um, yeah, I don't know. Now that I don't you've know.
0: now that you've put it out there, something. Yeah, I'm will putting come it along. out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, actually, that's probably what I listen to the most is nonfiction um, on my own. So when I'm listening to, uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of memoirs and a lot of um, mm. fellow artists and their books as well. So.
0: Cool. And, and the audiobooks that you record, do you record them at home? Do you go into studios, a little of both?
1: Sure. Um, for a while, I actually got started um, with Tantor um, in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. So going to their studios, that's where I got started. Um, but now I co-own a small studio space here in Rhode Island called The Tree Cave. Um, and I co-own that with my sound engineer husband, Justin Mara. Oh,
0: so your husband it, is also in the, in yes. the audio world.
1: Yes. He actually just um, engineered and co-directed Jenny Slate in Little Weirds. She actually did her memoir at the Tree Cave. So that was a really fun experience this summer. Um, But yeah, he's been um, a part of the audiobook industry for the past few years and it's been amazing to um, be in it together.
0: So did he get into it right when you did? Were you married at that point?
1: He got into it shortly after. So yeah, we were married um, when, I, when I started narrating. Um, we got married in 2013. So I started narrating in 2015. And then um, he's been, he was a history teacher for many years, but he's always been a singer-songwriter. And he's always had a hand in recording his own work. Um, he's He always kind of had his hand in engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, but he transitioned to that from his teaching job. So he was a history teacher for 13 years and just was needing a change of pace so um it turns out that engineering has become his his new career That's and it's great. Been is, is amazing. yeah yeah he loves it he That's loves it great. and he loves he yeah he works on music he works on audiobooks um other we were becoming known for spoken word in the New England area so he's had a, a variety of projects come his way but audiobooks is definitely both of our foundation for for the main bread and butter coming in
0: very cool so uh tree cave i assume that it's not actually in a tree house
1: <laughs> no but it's it's homey. <laughs> okay all right well that's yeah. that's good
0: it seems to me that you'd have a way too much external noise coming in if you, <laughs> uh, if you did something like that it would be cool i would love it but it just seems yeah. like it'd be a little difficult <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally
0: cool so uh so really at this point is that what you're focusing on or do you really focus on a variety of things
1: Yeah, so I'm one of those people that is never satisfied just doing one thing. Um, And I'm also extroverted, which makes for an interesting life as um, an audiobook narrator.
0: (laughs) Yeah, difficult (laughs) difficult to have a whole lot of interaction when you're sitting in a booth for six hours a day. (laughs) Totally.
1: Yeah, so it's really – that's part of why I I began building my coaching business, The Global Actor, because I knew I needed (laughs) to be around people. But also um, I was finding – all the different ways that you could you can make an acting career work when you do add audiobooks and how do you add audiobooks and how do you manage that with a theater career how might it be a fit for TV and film like fitting that in so i'm still working out my own process with that but i do help actors as well cuz i feel like it's an ever changing thing like there are there are certain times of year where there's more of a certain kind of work. So for me, I n- no two months look exactly the same for me, and I really love that. Um, I love having a mix of audiobooks. Um, I did my first video game this year. Um, I do some commercials, um and then next year, my biggest my bigger focus next year is getting more on camera training. But I'm gonna keep going with audiobooks and um, definitely keep going with all the voiceover as well. but I'm always itching for the next thing as well.
0: I know several people like that. I Tanya Tanya <laughs> Eby comes to mind. I think she's got oh, like about so 14 lovely. different hats. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um well that's good. So since you mentioned the coaching, let's let's go into that. So you started coaching it sounds like a few years ago. Um and how did that start?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um I actually I would say I've informally been coaching people probably since college just because oh, I have a wow yeah, but not specifically career coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, but my parents are both teachers and they actually really wanted me to be a teacher. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be an actor. But I think there was always that little bird in my voice, like that little, uh, you know, a little bird's voice in my head that was like, but you can do teaching. Mm. Um, and so <laughs> uh, seriously from college, you, there were friends of mine that I was always like, okay, what's go, what's next for you? How are you putting together your resume? Are you ready for this next audition? How are you getting? So I've kind of been that person since I was in college. And then I had friends over the years who I would informally coach. Um, about 10 years ago, I began voice. Um, I began teaching voice. Um, so I also am a musician and I play trombone and cello. So There's I was, a
0: combination for you. I'm sure that you don't play them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, I had to choose
1: the biggest instruments. And I was like a 10 year old trying to carry both of those around at the same time. <laughs> There's a picture. Um, <laughs> I'm also the only girl in a family with uh, four boys, so I think I probably needed like a big, loud instrument mm. to just make my voice heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, um, yeah. So about 10 years ago, it, it was actually when I moved back to New England um, and was living with my parents at first. And they were and my dad's a, a music director. He recently retired, but he was like the he was like Mr. Holland in Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh, he was cool. He was that lovely, warm, warm man who was just changing the community. And so he was having some students. He's like, oh, what do you think about starting to teach trombone lessons? And I was like, okay, sure. So I started (laughs) doing that, started teaching cello. um, And then I had um, my voice teacher was like, you know, you could start teaching voice to like some younger high school kids. And so I started teaching voice as well. And um, so that I had, that was going. And then around, again, around 2015, 2016, as I was getting a really good handle on how to actually make a living as an actor and really how to grow income streams and how to really build relationships and build systems so that you actually can count on having work come in. um, That's where I decided, okay, this is the time um, to see what I can do in, in helping other actors with this. So I had a number of uh, business mentors over the years. I'm I'm definitely one of those people who's a lifelong learner and I'm always in some kind of class. So in those years I was really investing in business development. So I had a couple coaches, one by the name of Sean Tollison, who's a strategy coach for actors, and then also Dallas Travers who was a marketing coach for actors. And um, I learned so much from them just about marketing and learning how to run a business because we are all CEOs of our own business, but you know, we don't learn that in um, a theater program and a you traditional theater program you, anyway. You don't
0: learn it in a lot of places that you should. I know that that is, I, I, I believe, the primary reason why the first time I got into voiceover, it ended up being a, a failed um, project because I didn't understand that. And, right. and it was clear after, like, a year, well, this isn't working. And I didn't really understand why. And it's because all of the training that I had gotten was only on performance. And mm-hmm. performance is just one aspect of a performance career. So, uh, so I, I learned the hard way that uh, it mm-hmm. is super important to understand that you are the owner of a business. And you have to mm-hmm. run a business if you want to do this work.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'm a firm proponent for that. And I really think those three years that I really invested in mentorship, and I still invest in mentorship today with business coaches. Um, so I think all of that gave me the specific tools that helped me really figure it out. But then also because of my teacher gene, I was I, it's like, whenever I learned something, I'm like, Oh, now I want to teach someone else. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of where the global actor came out of. So in about 2016, I had just finished a production of Avenue Q the second time I I performed it um, at a regional theater in Rhode Island. And I was in it, but I was also the um, puppet coach. So I performed in it, but I was also the puppet coach. And I realized, you know, I feel very full right now. Like I'm using both sides of my brain. I feel like a full artist Mm. right now. And the next show I had that year, I was just, I felt like a cog in the wheel. It was a big musical theater production but I wasn't a big role or anything and I just felt like oh but I'm not using all of me right now like mm-hmm. this doesn't feel as good so it made me realize like in order for me to feel fully myself I kind of need that artistic outlet but also the coaching outlet as well so um that's so yeah that's kind of where I really started investing in the global actor And since 2016, it's been a tremendous way for me to empower other actors to learn the business skills they need, to shift their mindset so that they can be confident in who they are and what they have to offer and realize that what they have to offer is like nothing else anyone in the world can possibly offer. And then how to be smart about it, how to make business decisions that are going to move them towards the specific goals that they want. And what I often find is that a lot of actors don't even know what goals they have. So we start yeah, there. That doesn't we surprise really me at all. Specific. I know that when I first
0: started, <laughs> I really didn't. So, uh, And and yeah. I know from other uh, business coaches as well that goals are incredibly important. Um, yes. Set set goals for your business and, uh, and then – find out what's working and what's not. Um, right. So that's great. So, so when you kind of formalized that, that was already after you had started doing audiobooks. Were were audiobooks as part of um, the coaching that you were giving on the business side, part of it from the beginning? Or did you start focusing more on audiobooks at some point uh, in terms of what you were teaching people? How, how did the audiobooks fit into the coaching?
1: Yeah, great question. So actually yes, one of my clients, a little of both. I didn't realize how far into audiobooks I would get with my coaching um because today a lot of people actually come to me to learn to be an audiobook narrator. Um but when I was starting, there were a few people I I started with just four clients at the beginning um and I work with actors primarily in groups because I find that the accountability of being in community the um, motivation that you get from being around other people, and then also just the shared knowledge that actors all need to learn. Um, It made the perfect uh, situation for actors to like really stay motivated and be in action, actually get the work done that I was assigning them. Mm -hmm. So one out of the, maybe I started with four or five, and I just think, I think one of them was an audiobook narrator at the time. And this was a narrator who had already done a hundred audiobooks. But with her, we were specifically working on, okay, but you have never said no to a job. You have never worked with a second publisher. Um, you want to bring the rest of your acting career back into your life. So how do we make that all happen? So it was it's it's very much a holistic approach that I do in the work. Um, so for her specifically, it was like, okay, how do I get the rest of my life working in tandem with this wonderful audiobook career that I have started and how do I actually take charge in it and not just take what comes to me.
0: I know that um the page that I read through on your coaching was on your power groups, which is the first thing I'd heard about actually in terms of your coaching and, and when I was introduced to you as a, a coach in this industry. Um, so when did that, was that the way you started coaching or is that something that sort of grew out of your experience?
1: Yes, actually, that's the first thing I offered as a career coach. And that was because, um, I had learned, that's how I primarily learned, uh, my business skills, uh, with Dallas Travers, who is my former, well, she's still my business coach. She would coach people in in groups of four because, um, it was more affordable. So more actors can take part because you're already paying for your demo. You're already paying for all of the supplies we need, all of your equipment for your studio, all of that. So the group coaching makes it more affordable. Um, and yeah, that is still my signature coaching program today. I do do some private coaching, but most of this is private coaching within a group. And I also have a brand new offering and we just kicked this course off um, last week. Yeah, we're in week two. I'm not sure when you're gonna share this. Um, but at the beginning of December, I launched my first full online course with 60 actors, and that's the Great Audiobook Adventure. So it's an eight-week course that's taking actors from their acting craft that they already know and have already been trained in, we're translating the craft into narration. And then I'm teaching them everything they need to know as far as putting their marketing tools together, getting their demo together, figuring out how to create a target list of who they're going to begin building relationships with, how to reach out, even templates of how to reach out, and then everything to get them through to the point where they're getting work and understanding how to manage a workflow. So that's its own course. That's a brand new offering. But I'm still my my main offering is still um, the global actor power groups, which is working with a, a small group.
0: So go into that in a little more detail. So a small group is sure. good. I totally get that. I've uh, I, when I started in voiceover, I definitely did uh, workshops that had. Usually I think it was 10 to 12 people. Sometimes it was a, sometimes it was, um, maybe a few less, but it was usually 10 to 12. Um, Mm -hmm. but yours is because you're the global coach, uh, Mm -hmm. yours is online. And so pretty much anybody anywhere can participate. So how does it work exactly?
1: Yes. Yes. And I do have actors from all over the world. We've got, um, Actors from Australia to Sweden right now, um, but with most of them being still in New York and LA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and where how does most it... actors are. Yes. <laughs> um, but can you repeat your question? Sorry. I want to make sure that I answer that.
0: So I, I just want a little more detail on how it works because when I've done workshops, it, they've all been, you know, in-person workshops that were close to where I was living when I was living in the Bay Area and mm-hmm. other one-off workshops like Johnny Heller's Splendiferous Workshop the day before APAC and, and things like that. But your your concept is an online thing. It's global people from all over can participate. So how does it work exactly?
1: Yes, and it's very small group. So there's no more than six actors. Typically there's around four actors. It kind of depends on who's there that week. But they're groups of four to six actors. We meet via Zoom. So I can see everyone and everyone can see everyone. Mm -hmm. Um and how it works is we meet for a two-hour session twice a month um, within Zoom. And it's a very focused session. So if so say you were to be a part of it, Rich, I would say, okay, what are your goals? What do you really want to make happen? By the end of 2020, when we're talking, let's imagine it's a year from now. What do you want to be telling me that happened in 2020? And we're going to think big picture like that. And so I would find out in the call before even enrolling someone what their specific goals are, and I would help them figure out what the plan we together need to put in place to make that happen. And so then, um, from there I give actors some prep work to get ready. So there's, um, some work that they need to do just a small writing assignment, just so we're on the same page and we can really hit the ground running on day one. And on day one, there are six actors in this group and each actor has a 20 minute one-on-one with me that the other actors get to see. So everybody gets to learn from the other person's experience, but you're literally in the hot seat every coaching session. So it's like such a affordable way to get personalized attention for the full five months. And then on top of that, um, outside of the zoom. Oh, and also in, in these groups, um, other actors in the group can participate like via the chat. So if someone says like say someone's talking about reaching out to a specific audiobook company, if someone has experience with them, they might chat in, "Oh yeah, here's the point person at that company. Feel free to use my name as a referral." And I'm not kidding. This kind of stuff happens and it's and that's what's so wonderful about this. This is um the community I'm interested in is one where people are not holding secrets. It's one where we're all giving Mm -hmm. and together we're rising together and lifting each other up. So whether it's someone that I'm working with or someone that I just meet at a networking event, I really care about the people I meet. So it's like, no, I'm not holding anything, um, from people. So it's just like a really wonderful environment for people to learn and ask questions in a way where they won't Shot down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where I will challenge them to move past their comfort zone, but there's always going to be some support, and I will always make sure that they understand like the A to Z of how to do it.
0: That's great. Uh, it it sounds like it's a, a little microcosm of the audiobook community as a whole, which I continue to think yeah. is a, a great community where people are, are always willing to help, or almost always willing to help. Yes, I um,
1: agree. It's friendly. It's a really friendly com- like part of our industry for sure.
0: Yeah uh absolutely so so in any one given power group i'm i'm thinking mostly of the people who are going to be listening to this podcast are yeah. all focused on audiobooks um how what kind of a percentage would you say of the participants in your power groups are audiobook narrators or are actors who are interested in audiobook narration and are, ho- and are going to be speaking with you in your Zoom sessions with the other actors about audiobooks. So, and, yeah. and the reason that I'm asking is because uh-huh. I, I want to make sure that anybody listening understands that it's not like necessarily every single person that is going to be in this group is going to be focused on audiobooks, and I want them to understand how they might fit into one of the groups.
1: Sure. I will say <laughs> I'm actually looking at my list um I have up on my office wall like a list of who's coming back in 2020 and I'm looking and I'm like, "Oh, no that person's doing audiobooks now. Oh, that person's doing I'm kind of I'm I'm helping a lot of people find audiobooks." Yeah. <laughs> so, it's actually really shifting. It's probably so when I say when we started a few years ago it was just one out of four people. It's probably more like 50 to 60% now, um if not more and here's the reason i really encourage actors to make a living a full-time living as an actor if that's what they want to do and because i know that the foundation of audiobooks is such a great way to bring in an income um i often encourage people to at least explore it and see if it's a possibility for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it depends on the group, but I will say I do have control over which group I put people in. So that's something that if say someone wants to join and they're really only interested in audiobooks and don't want to know anything about, um, on camera work or commercial work or, or theater or anything, I would do my best to put them in a group where they're going to be surrounded by people who are, have common interests. and because it's because I only have three of these groups in the year ahead and they're really small groups, um, I have a lot of control over how that works
0: yeah and and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it It doesn't surprise me that the percentage of people that are interested in audiobooks is increasing in the acting <laughs> world. Uh, yeah, yeah so so that sounds great. Um, and you said that you also do some one-on-one coaching.
1: Yeah, I do not as much because of my schedule, and in order for me to just stay on my on track with my audiobooks and the auditions that I've got for other voiceover work and theater, um, I don't do I don't lead with a private coaching. Pri- private coaching is definitely available. It's just going to be a little bit more expensive. Um, but I definitely love working with people one-on-one as well, and I I find just as much growth um, privately as I do within power groups. And actually, as part of power group, actors do get at least one private session with me. So it is nice to have that one-on-one time for sure. To just mm-hmm. kind of have that time to just zone in on one person and them feel like no one's watching. But yeah. at the same time, <laughs> at the same time though, I do think it's that. Specifically, the thing that people are watching actually helps people rise to the occasion because it's not just them that they're telling they're going to be doing it. So like say I'm working with someone named Chris. If Chris says he's going to do something and he's just reporting back to me, he's going to let himself slide a lot more than if he's telling five other people and showing up
0: every two weeks. A little more accountability if there are more people listening to what you say you're going to do.
1: Totally. I'm all about accountability yeah. for
0: sure. Well, that sounds like uh, a really uh, a really good approach. I know that uh, when I first got into voiceover, I was – I actually approached somebody about uh, – who was doing workshops about one-on-one coaching and she didn't really do one-on-one coaching and she said, you know, I really find that um, that works better for specific problems rather than for kind of advancing whereas being around other people – works better for advancing because you get to hear a lot of different people and you get to learn from what they do as well as from what you're doing um i i don't know that i would at this point in my career that i would completely agree with that for any one given situation but i will say that over the years i have learned that being in workshop situations and being in group situations has actually been much more helpful than i would have thought it would have been maybe 10 or 20 years ago if you really pay attention to what is happening yes. with the other people that are involved, if you're, instead of just tuning out and saying, well, she's going to be working with him now, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you're actually focused and if you're actually listening to what they're doing and then hearing the feedback, I yes. have found that to be uh, very helpful. I have also found one-on-one coaching to be very, very helpful with the, the coaches that I've worked with. So, um, yeah, so I think I, they're both valuable for yeah. sure. Yeah, so that's that's nice to hear that part of being in the group is getting uh, some one-on-one time with you as well.
1: Yes, and also um, like this is within um, – the power groups also have a private Facebook group. So once a month, I actually uh, host three hours within the Facebook group, which I call office hours. And so people can post any questions or any samples for a full three hours, and I'm engaged in there giving feedback on samples um, really answering any questions that come up. So that's another possibility. Like if people don't want to actually read in front of other people or they don't want their, um, sample played in front of other people, that's another way, uh, that I have that coaching as an option as well.
0: Got it. Well, that's great. So it sounds like you are incredibly busy wearing a lot of different hats. Uh, Do you have any free time at all? What do you do with your free time if you have any? It's so funny. Yeah, I know.
1: I asked you to send me the questions and that one was hilarious because you're like, what do you do when you're not narrating or coaching? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that's kind of a workaholic because I love my work. (laughs) Um, but I've been making a point to do a couple things. I've been making a point to take a day off a week, not always successful at it. Um, but I've been working on it. Um, and something that I really got into this past year was rock climbing. So my husband and I both go to a rock climbing gym and I love it. It's really empowering for me. I think I had a lot of fear at first. And I just kind of want to face fear right in the face and be like, all right, let's figure this out. Um, so that's been one of my passions, but also traveling. I love traveling. So like at the beginning, I was telling you about traveling out to the Northwest. Um, mm-hmm. But in the past four years, actually, we've been, we've had the opportunity to go to a number of different countries, um, not on purpose. Like three years ago, we went to Germany to visit my friend who had lived out there for about 10 years. And I was finally visiting her. And we went to Prague that trip. And then the next year, my cousin was getting married in France. So we were like, oh, I mean, we have to go to France. Of course. And then this past year, in June of this year, my brother got married in Spain. So like we didn't, we literally didn't have a choice. Wow. (laughs) So yeah, so we went to uh, Sevilla, Seville, Spain, um, and Gibraltar. And so, yeah, it's been a lot. Like traveling is definitely a huge passion of mine. And it's incredible to have the opportunity to do that. I always recommend people take time off it's not all even if you can't travel far um i just think time off is so important especially when you work as hard as narrators do i know I know narrators like stay up all night sometimes hitting those deadlines. So it's important to have some vacations to look forward to.
0: No, I agree. And, and we started here. uh, My wife and I started about six, six months ago, I think, uh, trying to take a specific day of the week off. She's, she also works for herself, not in this industry, but, um, Mm -hmm. so we decided we're going to take one day a week off. And like you, It hasn't always happened. Um, You know, (laughs) things come up, and lately I'm still getting over a cold. And in this business, Mm -hmm. you know, in in any other kind of line of work, I used to be a programmer. It would be like I'd get a cold. I might take one or two days off. If it was a bad one, it would be two days. If it wasn't Mm -hmm. a bad one, I might not take any days off and just, you know, go in and do what I'm supposed to do and just kind of be quiet. Uh, In this business, it's like I lose a week or two or three weeks because of one single lousy cold. (laughs) The it worst. sucks, yeah. and so uh, days off right now are. I know hard, you can't even come... rest. No, you can't even
1: rest because you're like stressed out thinking about it, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And <laughs> oh, on top of that, right? I was I had performances this weekend. I sing in a, a local chorus, and I had performances, so I'm using my voice at a time when. Under normal circumstances, I would have just completely shut up. I would have been texting my wife sitting next to her on the couch so that I didn't have to speak. But instead, I've got to sing, and so I'm, I'm still getting over it. It's, it's Even though it was a really mild cold, it changed my voice, and that screws up work. So days off right now are hard to come by. Um, but I, I completely agree. I think that it's uh, it's a great plan to make sure that you take some time off. And uh, we already have a, a few things planned next year that are uh, pretty much deal breakers. They're, they're just like, you know, no, nothing is going to change the fact that this is part of the plan. And I'm if I have to turn down work because of it, then that's what I have to yeah. do because this, you... this is the plan. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So For it sure. sounds like you might be one of those voice actors who does not take a travel rig with you when you travel.
1: Um, that's really interesting. I don't, I don't do books when I travel. That's for sure. I do sometimes just take a simple one for auditions because I do have an agent in New York. And so I'm auditioning for commercials, Mm -hmm. but I have no, I also am someone who has no problem booking out. I kind of am like, yeah, there's not a problem if I book out. Um, cause I will, I'm going to take this vacation, but that kind of depends on where I'm at and what I'm specifically pursuing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I don't really take a big travel rig with me. I just, if I do take something, it's usually like the blue spark, which is just a very basic USB mic. Um, and I'll come up with some wonderful way to <laughs> shut out the rest of the sound. However I can, Yeah. Um, But but otherwise, yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I can see that for auditions and I would be willing to do that too. But I, um, I, I used to do that. I used to take more with me when I was on vacation, nothing ever came of it back in those days. Uh, and so I decided this time around, I think that that time off is more important. If I, if I've decided it's important for me to have this time away, then that's Mm -hmm. what I'm going to focus on. And if an audition comes in and they're okay, listening to me on my phone, then great. Mm -hmm. If not, I'm not going to audition. So that's that's me. Everybody's different. And I'm, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say that as a way to disparage anybody who takes travel rigs with them. If that's what you want to do. Absolutely. That's, that's, I think that's cool. I think we we have different phases of our lives where we have to do something like I did. I didn't
1: take in my whole, my entire twenties. I didn't take one vacation because I thought I had to be ready for every audition, (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know? And so. I, I'm glad that I've kind of eased off that a little bit, but, um, but yeah, to each his own, whatever makes sense for you.
0: Absolutely. Everybody's different. And, and the fact is that I, I would not be at all surprised to learn that there are some voice actors who are excited about the possibility of going on a vacation and enjoying the vacation and actually be able, being able to book a job (laughs) because they took all their gear with them and it sounded great. And so they booked a job and I can imagine really (laughs) exciting. Yeah. So (laughs) everybody's different. I, I certainly don't mean to say that nobody should do that. It's just uh, I personally uh, feel like uh, my time off, if I've decided it's important to have time off, is going to be time off. So mm-hmm. um, so anyway, this this is fantastic. Um, you know, it, it sounds like as a coach and as an actor, and, and you've seen a lot and you've done uh, a lot of audiobook work, um, what words of wisdom would you have for aspiring narrators out there? Most of my listeners are narrators uh, as well as, you know, some, some are narrators who do other acting. Some are just focusing on mm-hmm. narration plus a, a day job until they go into, uh, audiobook narration full-time. Um, what, what are some basic words of wisdom that I'm sure would come up in your coaching sessions that, uh, that you could share with everybody?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I would just say, uh, if you're willing to learn, there's work for you. Um, don't listen to the haters. <laughs> and yeah. I say that because, um, there are a lot of people who have not gone after their dreams and be careful that you're not listening to people who are, who are holding you back. I think that there are all voices that are needed in our industry today. Um, and with some good help, uh, attention to detail, the right training and a hard work ethic and a go get attitude. I think you're going to be thriving in no time. And I would say that seek out, um, help. And I've got free help available at our global act. If you're okay with it, I want to tell you about my free Facebook group. Sure. yeah. People want to come play. Yeah. So if you just search on Facebook, hashtag global actors, we've got a free Facebook group there. And honestly, there's a lot of free training, a lot of great community. If you need someone to just check in on your goals from time to time, um, surround yourself with people who are supportive, um, instead of people cutting you down and, um, Yeah. Stay at it. Stay at it. I I think that this part of our industry isn't going anywhere anytime soon. There's plenty of work for everyone.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Um, I've I've said many times on this show, I'm really curious as to where this industry is going to be in in five and even 10 years. Um, But it certainly seems like it doesn't show any signs of letting up anytime soon.
1: Yeah. And I think if we, as, as we continue to just stay plugged in and see where it's going and, um, get creative, there's always going to be a way. People are always going to need entertainment. People are always going to want to hear stories. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, I think it's definitely going to going to keep keep going for sure yeah Yeah, i'm i'm I'm, like you though i have no idea what it will look like five to ten years from now yeah sure
0: it'll be interesting it'll be an interesting ride (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) we'll be there
0: so so aside from that uh facebook group where can people find you Elise? where if people want to get in touch with you or uh, a website where can people find you
1: yeah, for sure. Um, again, so yeah, my Facebook groups can be great. So facebook.com slash global actors. Um, also my website, theglobalactor.com. Um, and then also if you just want to check out my narrations, um, and see my other acting stuff, that's elisearsnow.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at elisearsnow.actor and I'm on Twitter at elise Act, So E L I S E A C T S think All that's right.
0: everything
1: yeah right. thank you cool.
0: so much yeah no this is great i hope the uh i hope the wine was good even though it wasn't local in rhode island it there. was delicious no, oh, no now i'm
1: now now i'm ready to and i'm ready to prep that book from montana now
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great what kind of book is it
1: um it's literary fiction which is like that's my favorite thing to dive further into that's right. the that's the one i'm most interested in growing so i'm excited it's a little bit dark to be honest but um but it, it, that part of the country can be, especially this time of year, it gets really, really dark, really yeah, cold. It's
0: no so kidding. Cool. I've got a, a sister-in-law in uh, Wyoming and you know, we're, we're in Tucson down here. We don't get, uh, regular temperatures under a hundred degrees until late September. By that time they're getting snow.
1: <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Wyoming. That's one of the other States I was in. Yeah, for sure. I remember that. I remember like seven feet high snow banks, like yep. going through Yellowstone park. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so anyway, this is great. I'm glad the wine was good. My, uh, my smoky nail was good. Uh, I, awesome. uh, yeah. it's not something that I would make all that often. I, I don't typically drink the, the peated, the heavily peated scotch very often. I always like to have a bottle on hand and every once in a while it's just the perfect thing, but, nice. uh, but I save it for, for special occasions and, uh, and, and audiobook speakeasy interview always is one.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Rich. This is
0: wonderful. Sure. Thank you for coming in, Elise. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Elise Arsenault for stopping in. I'm very glad that someone posted a question a month or two ago in a Facebook group that led me to her website. I really enjoyed hearing about her acting background and her approach to audiobook and career coaching, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!